You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 63, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Christina Crook, the founder of Jomo, The Joy of Missing Out. You can find out more about Christina Crook and how she helps people to find balance in the digital world at ChristinaCrook.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-C-R-O-O-K.com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Christina Crook to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. You're about to hear an interview with Christina Crook, the author of The Joy of Missing Out. She's going to talk about a lot of ways to savor the experience of disconnecting from your devices or using them less or having a more balanced relationship with them. So to start out today, I'd like to suggest an exercise for helping to cultivate the feeling of joy of missing out, particularly if that's not something you often experience. And it's very simple. Now, you might be listening to this podcast on your phone, but whatever device you're listening to this on, you can still practice missing out on something. So if you're listening to this podcast, maybe picture your text messages that are sitting there waiting for you that you're not reading or responding to now, or your email or your Facebook page, or whatever it is that when you think about it, it maybe triggers that fear of missing out or a sense of anxiety or some kind of irritation or craving to check it. And what I suggest that you do is to instead try to turn your attention towards a feeling of joy, relief, maybe. It may be difficult or you may not be successful at your first attempt to see if you can cultivate and bring to the forefront of your attention some positive feeling to replace that feeling of fear. Maybe you don't have it in you right now, but I suggest that by consciously practicing cultivating a feeling of joy, you will be more likely over time to experience it somewhat automatically as a habit when you are not engaged with your device so that when you are missing out, you don't feel so much like you're missing, but you start to feel the positive effects. Now, if when you think about your email or Facebook, all you feel is something negative, you might start by drawing your thoughts to something positive, a conscious thought about, hmm, you know, I am not getting sucked in to that app right now. Now, that may not generate a positive feeling yet, but turning your attention to your thoughts can be a first step. Focus on your thoughts, come up with more reasons why it's good or healthy or helpful to you to not be engaged. And I suggest that if you keep turning your thoughts to those things, that might help to bring about a slow change in how you actually feel. And then over time, if you practice that, you may find that it takes less effort and becomes more of a habit for your mind and your body to turn in the positive, joyful direction when you are not engaged with your devices instead of instinctively turning towards fear or anger or irritation or something else. So that's my suggestion. You can try it now. You can try it at any time when you are not engaged with your devices. 
try to cultivate that feeling of joy of not being engaged digitally. So I hope you find that helpful, and I hope you enjoy the upcoming interview with Christina Crook. Hi, Christina, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course, we're going to talk about JOMO, the joy of missing out. <laughs> but I wonder if you could start by by telling people how you got interested and you know, what motivated you. Maybe what were you dealing with in your personal life or professionally that got you on the path of JOMO, maybe even before you thought about it and started writing about it? Yeah. So I studied communication in Vancouver, Canada, which is where I'm from. And I was really keyed into the, because of what I studied, I was really keyed into the ways that mass communication and media shapes people and culture. And so that kind of was my background going into a career, first working for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, then for a number of other nonprofit organizations here in Canada, and eventually freelancing. And during that time coming out of university and through into the early years of my career, I really started to notice how obviously email and social media very near the end of that time started to sort of encroach on my life, but also the lives of the people around me. And so I was pretty keyed into that. And I did a very old school thing, which was that I started to sort of clip articles. Mm -hmm. Now, newspaper clipping is like a pretty old idea. Most people don't do that anymore. <laughs> but I actually did start doing that. I sort of amassed this folder, basically, of articles that I'd either printed off or read in, you know, magazines or newspapers about sort of these trends that were emerging in terms of people's discomfort with email particularly, and then social media. And it kind of started to move me in a direction of me wanting to transition away from relying so heavily on those tools to see what would happen to my life if I just removed them for a period of time, particularly creatively, because I'm a creative writer. I was writing, starting to write more for magazines and write, writing essays and poetry at that time. I wanted to find out what would happen if I stepped away from the internet. And so I did that for 31 days. This is a number of years ago now. And that's sort of where my journey with all of this began. Mm. So of course, I want to ask you, since your focus is the joy of missing out, I suspect that when a lot of people think about uh, stepping away from the internet for an hour, much less for 30 plus days, you know, they probably will trigger that fear in them, the fear of missing out that you juxtapose to. But, you know, so I wonder if uh, you can talk about was there fear? But then, of course, I want to expose people to the, the flip side, the joy, which may not occur to many people at all, uh, that, that joy could actually be a part of it. Uh, you know, we often focus on the avoidance of the negative, maybe. Mm -hmm. So could you speak to, you know, what that was like in your own experience? Yeah. So a little bit more background with me. During this time that I was sort of considering this big move off of the internet. I had moved from Vancouver to Toronto. And for your US listeners, that's very far across the continent. And I sort of in one fell swoop, all of my closest relationships or like 98% of my close relationships were all of a sudden somehow mediated by the internet through even through, you know, through phone calls. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, through just catching up with, you know, looking on people's feeds on Facebook and mostly Facebook at that time. And so I really 
wanted to start connecting more deeply and closer with um, my family and my friends far away. And I knew I wasn't getting the whole picture by what I was just seeing online. Mm. So when I stepped away, yes, of course, there was fear that I'd miss out on things. I had to tell people that I was going offline. I had to prepare because I wouldn't have Google Maps anymore and I needed to buy a map book and <laughs> I needed to let some you know, clients know that I was going to be doing this experiment and I wasn't going to be working through that month and I was freelancing at that time. So I had you know, the power to do that, which most people, a lot of people don't. But yeah, day one was sort of like the classic you know, detox situation where my natural ways of being reaching for my phone, you know, and sort of the, the lulls in the day when I reached for it, you know, it didn't do anything for me. I could make a phone call, but that was the only thing that I was able to do with it. Yeah, it was, there were fears involved. And I remember really distinctly on the second day, I had set up a blog about the experiment and what I was doing was instead of being online, I was writing a letter each day mm-hmm. on an old technology, the typewriter and writing about my experiment or my experience each day and mailing it to a friend who was then going to scan them and put them on a blog. And I remember on the second day obsessing about a line on the blog that I had written that I wanted to change. And mm-hmm. that was this like, really profound. Like I will never forget it because it was just like that kind of summed up the experience for me. There was, what I realized was there's such incredible power to control who we are, what we present online, right? We can literally edit, tweak, filter, curate all these things. And all of a sudden that control, that power was taken away, or I'd willfully given up that control and had to leave it. And so I experienced like the fear, the FOMO about that for probably about an hour, not the fear of missing out, but just the fear and frustration of that. And then it became like this gift. It became this, like this pleasure. There was joy in it. Cause I'm like, you know what? I can't do anything about that. That's just the way it's going to be for the next 31 days. <laughs> I can just let that go. And that was really what that entire experience became about. Mm, letting go. Yeah. So you, the fact that you had structured things to require or, or prevent yourself from acting on the fear immediately gave you some time and space to sit with it and experience what would happen then. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you already touched, you know, a few minutes ago about discomfort and, you know, willfully not choosing to engage in those painful moments. And yeah, what 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 could have been a painful moment or was at least for a little bit, you know, once I got across a certain threshold, it became something different. And I experienced a lot of freedom in not being so attached online. Yeah, it's interesting what might seem like a contradiction between restriction on your ability to use the internet, restriction on your ability to edit what you wrote, and experiencing freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, we often think of restrictions as being the antithesis of freedom, right? Freedom is more choice. Freedom is more options. But you experienced a way in which some limits that were self-imposed helped you to feel more free. I wonder if there are other experiences like that, I'm sure, throughout the rest of that 31 days and since then, in which maybe you've you've experienced additional freedom in those unexpected kind of ways. I often will say to people that it was so much easier to live those 31 days than it has been any day since. 
when it specifically, you know, as it pertains to my relationship online, because, you know, you're in this space, I'm in this space, what is the first thing, uh, you know, an interviewer wants to know, oftentimes, in my case, they want to know, like, what are your top three tips, right, for, <laughs> for unplugging from the internet, or how to manage, you know, your digital being these different types of questions, and navigating and negotiating that constantly is actually way more exhausting and way more work. And, and I think, creates way less freedom than sort of making those decisions once and for all, like for 31 days, once and for all, for those 31 days, the parameters were so ultra clear. Mm -hmm. And so that I think empowered and enabled a lot of freedom. And so that's a lot of what I talk about with people is making those parameters super clear. Like, where do you leave your phone when you get home from work? That's where you leave it all Mm -hmm. the time. And so you don't have to renegotiate that over and over again, because we know that creates incredible emotional and mental exhaustion, having to renegotiate and make those decisions day after day, or even hour or minute after minute. The amount of freedom, I think, within certain constraints, obviously constraints that we've negotiated for ourselves and chosen willfully and mindfully, we're talking about mindfulness, of course, Mm. on your podcast. (laughs) But yeah, I think that that can create an enormous amount of freedom in our lives. I'm not going to ask you for your top three tips. But <laughs> <laughs> you still can. <laughs> you know, you just gave an example, though, of something that that you do and other people can do, which is uh, decide where they're going to put their phone. First of all, that implies that there is a place they're going to put it rather than just continue to carry it with them necessarily when they get home. I'm curious about uh, where do you put your phone? What are some of your own practices around Mm -hmm. the phone when you have it on you or not? And also have those changed over time? You know, there's maybe a balance between making a decision forever and having some degree of flexibility and how do you navigate that? And I'm wondering then, of course, how that can uh, help give some guidance or examples to other people and what they can Mm -hmm. do in their own lives. So one of the things I do do, and actually this is in part because I'm a parent and I have been in one particular situation where we needed to call, you know, emergency response for a health situation with our family. And those like, there was like a minute that we couldn't find our phones, either of Mm -hmm. us, me or my Mm -hmm. partner, my husband. And it was sort of a wake up call that, yeah, you know, we don't have a landline. And then we got a landline, never used it, and then still have our phones. But having it in one particular place is also a safety thing, because if there were, ever was an emergency, you know, we would know where, where it would be sitting. So that's part of it for me, if I'm just perfectly honest about the process of me making, of my decision making around that. But ultimately, I talk about it in my TEDx talk as well, it's just like dropping it at the door. So having it at a place, mm-hmm. I have a, like a table right when I walk walk in the door, it goes on that table and it it basically stays there. One of the other practices that I have is that when I pick up my phone, if there's any of my loved ones, or really if there's anyone around when I'm picking up my phone, I'm telling the person that's in the room what I'm doing. So I'm, mm. I'm using my phone because I'm going to send an email to so-and-so. I'm picking up my phone because I'm going to, I'm going to call grandma for a few minutes because I need to discuss something with her. I'm picking up my phone, you know, and I tell them what I'm doing because it is, as we know, now a hundred different tools. You're, you're doing something almost something different almost every single time. It used to be that when you looked over and you saw your, you know, your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your you know, roommate in the kitchen, I don't know, looking at a cookbook, <laughs> and getting the, you know, the vegetables, like you knew what they were doing. Now, when you look at the phone, it's like a black hole. You're not, you don't really know what that person's doing. So you can't engage with them around that. And so I, 
have a practice around telling people what I'm doing when I'm using my phone. I would say the last one that's become really core for me, and it has so much to do with this conversation around pursuing joy over fear, which of course is this conversation of FOMO versus JOMO for me um, and in my work. And that's an age-old contemplative practice, which is called the examine, but it's actually been renamed and repackaged by motivational psychologists and all kinds of other thought leaders. And really what it comes down to is asking yourself at the end of each day, two questions, and I summarize them this way, and it's asking yourself what today was most life-giving and what today was most life-taking. And you basically just pause for five minutes at the end of each day and ask yourself those two questions. The examine would have called it, so it was from the Jesuits, the examine would have asked what brought you consolation, like what consoled you, like what consoled your heart, and what brought you desolation. So desolation and consolation are words mm. that we don't really use anymore. It's a little bit harder for yes. people to wrap their heads around. But the idea of life-giving and life-taking seems to be something that people can really understand. And so whether I'm talking to you know people that are CEOs or stay-at-home parents or creatives, all of them can relate to, oh yeah, this thing was really life-giving, or these couple of things that I did today were really life-giving. And these other things, well, they were really life-taking. They really, you know, kind of brought me down. And and I find in my own life that the things that are most life-giving for me are generally the time spent with people. Oftentimes I'm outdoors. Many times I'm being creative in some way. And what people will find and what I do find is that a lot of my life-taking experiences are like, oh, I was on my computer for six hours today <laughs> or, right. you know, and, and they can be connected to the phone. And so I find in terms of technology, it's not to villainize the technology user be like, that's life-taking. So I shouldn't engage in that. It's just like being again, mindful of that so that, you know, the next day I can kind of make sure I build in more of the life-giving things and, and balance those things out a little better. I really like the suggestion. And of course, there's like a catch-22, which is that if you are not taking the time to step away from the device, right, you may not have the space to recognize or become aware of what was most life-giving or life-taking, which may include some of that time when you were on your Absolutely. devices. Absolutely, yes. Right. You need to somehow cut through the Gordian knot, so to speak, you know, take that step to be away from the devices in order to get that ability or space to recognize what impact it's having on you, which, as you said, is often negative, not always, but no. even to become aware of what are the experiences that we have with technology that are life-giving versus life-taking, I think generally requires some time away from it mm -hmm. to get in touch with that. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know what your recommendations are around technology use, but I, I am leaning more and more towards believing that we should actually be spending more time not connected to devices because we're forgetting how to actually properly be human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so, yeah, I'm kind of testing this hypothesis out with people. Mm -hmm. You know, when you actually track the hours of the day, is the majority spent on a device of any kind, or is it not? And just balancing, yeah, just bringing that into awareness and, and seeing if it sort of tips the scales in terms of building relationships and, and better health. Yeah, and I think it does relate to 
the J in, in Jomo, which is we're talking not just about what might be stressful versus not stressful or productive versus not productive. You're talking about what actually brings joy. Yes. I really like that. I mean, it's not something that we often talk about in relation to technologies are often focused on these more, I call it pragmatic aspects of them, uh, or our health, which is of course extremely important. But, but talk about how you got focused on joy. So a little bit by serendipity, I would say that that is threaded all the way through my book. But as any author will tell you, and I know you're an author as well, you can't be too attached to your book title. And my Mm -hmm. book title, in fact, was something different, uh, very close to publication date. And it ended up having to be changed last minute due to, well, I can just go out and say it. It was called Digital Detox. And Mm -hmm. a company in California had in the meantime trademarked it. And we didn't want to get into sort of, we would have been, we would have still been able to go ahead with it. But we just decided, let's change it. It'll simplify and get it out, you know, on the timeline that we wanted it to be on. And I'd never, I actually hadn't heard of Jomo before. It was my publisher that brought it to me. And, you know, I was quite married to my first title because, you know, you do get attached. Yes. And I was, I was a little bit reluctant, but they said, you know, this is, this is something that's, you know, emerging and we really think it would be a great title for the book. And so that's what we went with. And so that part of my story is to me such a gift because it did entirely change the conversation. It actually was the conversation that I wanted to have, which is what joy might we find when we step away from our devices. Mm -hmm. And detox automatically has obviously a negative connotation. It's what we're we're taking away, right? As opposed to what are we embracing and moving towards. And so, and then another discovery that happened a couple years later, and don't ask me why it took me this long to actually look up the definition of the, like the dictionary definition (laughs) of the word joy, but I did. And it was a bit of a revelation. And actually the definition of joy is quote, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, and the prospect of possessing what one desires. And I was just like, that's it. Like, that's what we all want. It's like all wrapped up into that one tiny word. And so that's why I become really captivated by this word joy. And I, I think joy has a depth to it that may be happiness. And of course, the word delight has been co-opted by mm-hmm, mm-hmm. technology in terms of, you know, making products sticky and making them addictive in terms of delighting users. But joy is this, I think joy isn't just light and happiness, but joy has a weight to it in terms of like things that are truly meaningful that right. bring us happiness, but are also truly meaningful. And that is really why I've been captivated by this idea of joy. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about some of my own experiences on devices, many of which, when they're positive, there are many which uh, feel to me like sugar. You know, they are stimulating or arousing, with, in, perhaps with a positive feeling. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they involve joy as I would understand, in the the way the dictionary definition means it, and then just the way I think about what joy is. Right. It's what's so so compelling about the devices is that they can pull us in with something that's really attractive and stimulating. And I'm not saying it doesn't always involve, it it, it doesn't ever involve any joy. But now that I think about it, when it does for me, it's often if I'm connecting with someone else Mm -hmm. through the technology not something else like, you know, watching a video, which may be entertaining, 
but off, you know, much more often than not won't involve joy, the actual feeling of joy. I 100% agree with you. And that's why it's been such an interesting thing, work, journey, movement to (laughs) move (laughs) along because I truly believe that we're not going to solve the technology problem with more technology. Mm. Like just at the core of who I am, I believe that to be true. Joy, like it demands something of us. And I love how you were describing like how you experience joy, because I do believe that online we make contact. We've always been using this word connection, but I really believe online we make contact And we can make a choice to deepen that connection, to start an actual conversation, whether it's in private messages, DM, Mm, right? And mm -hmm. and starting to deepen an actual connection. And that's where we know now we're on the journey and we're on the road towards joy. But it demands something of us. It's not passive. It's not a a passive way of interacting. It's a very active way of interacting. Yeah, if we want more of that in our lives, it's going to demand something of us. And that's not an easy sell. What are some ways people can, uh, I would I'd suspect mostly without technology, maybe navigate the world which demands or often feels like it's demanding the use of technology, you know, navigate that with ways of using or not putting technology away in order to experience joy? I don't know if it's just, you know, going back to remembering and learning older ways of being, or is there something else? I really do think there's something to the practice that I was describing before, the life-giving versus life-taking. Mm. I recently launched my own podcast. You can probably bet what, you probably <laughs> guess what it's called, the JomoCast. And at the launch party, I had these beautiful sort of eight and a half by 11 pages printed and on them, it said more of this. Mm. And on other ones, it said less of this. And everyone got Sharpies and they wrote all over them. We put them up all over the room and all over the venue where we were having this this wonderful gathering. And it was just so powerful, I think, for people to not only write their own, but also to read others. One of the funny ones was more of this was uh, getting crafty, like making stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like crafts or whatever making with their hands. And the, the less of this was watching videos of other people being crafty. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because that's what we sometimes end up doing. So in terms of the cell, like I think being mindful of the things that we want more of, and then on, you know, on the conversely, the things that we want or need less of really is a path to change. And I do believe it's as simple as that. So if it, and just to kind of break it down further, the episode I have on my podcast coming out just this week, I don't know when Mm -hmm. this episode, our conversation will come out, but it was with Aaron Reynolds and he's the creator of a bunch of wildly successful social media accounts and he loves Jomo and it's really helped him. But he talks about how if you are on a particular platform and it's really like you're getting totally caught up in these like meaningless, painful, frustrating exchanges, for example, on Twitter. And that's not a space that's life-giving for you. It's not bringing you joy. You don't want more of that. And like, you need to seriously consider whether or not that platform is bringing any benefit to your life. Mm -hmm. I might need to consider this serious, you know, maybe we don't need to make it so weighty and serious, but you know, to seriously consider eliminating it from your life altogether. Cause life is short, right. you know, like you don't need to be. And I have, I have a couple of friends that they just feel like they cannot 
disengage from those conversations, but I don't see it bringing, you know, a lot of life to them. And so the conversation as a friend to, with them that I have is, you know, just asking those harder questions. Like, what is this doing for you? Is this, you know, is this how you want to be spending your time ultimately? So I do feel like the cell is really as simple as like, what is bringing you joy and what's, what's stealing it? and making your choices around technology use. And that's obviously very much on the personal side, because if we get into the professional side, that's a whole other conversation because there's all of these limits in terms of the way your organization runs, where you are in terms of levels of management, how much you can dictate terms. But if you are self-employed, you know, you have a lot more decision-making power around that. Yeah. It reminds me, if I remember your definition of joy, you know, it had something to do with experiencing more of of what you desire or, you know, there seems to be some like self-actualization or self-realization aspect to it that, you know, when, Mm -hmm. when we do that, we, I know I feel joyful in that way, you know, kind of becoming more of ourself or experiencing life in the way we want to be. And, and I, maybe that ties in with your active aspect of this being active rather than passive in how we interact with each other and and with ourselves and with technology, so much of which, as you said, can be delivered to us in a way that can encourage passivity. Right. You know, I think about, I play music and I get together with people in person to play music. We use technology instruments, right? But I think, I feel uh, that in, in that sense, the instruments are things that help bring out more of who we are. And the experience of playing music together is one in which the instruments are in service of us connecting with each other. And it is mm-hmm. very, a very active process, of course. You know, the sound may be amplified, but we are bringing ourselves into it. It's just very interesting, you know, to look at what, what are different types of technologies and which ones help promote that life-bringing <laughs> element. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> No, I 100% agree. And I love that you're bringing that out because technology, right? I mean, obviously there are platforms that are being designed and we all, you know, I think most of us are aware of this at this point, that there are definitely platforms that are, you know, not serving as well. And they are serving the bottom line before the user, user's well-being. But there are absolutely incredible, incredible tools and resources and information and communities that are happening online. And if you're actively engaged in them, I think they're, they're, they can be incredibly life-giving experiences. So it, it does not uniformly mean that you have to experience those things offline. And of course, those lines are blurring, um, which is a whole other conversation. But I think that the more mindful we are of what is actually serving the self well and and the greater community because i think that we need to not only focus on what is good for our personal well-being but also for community well-being and us all spending the majority of our margin our you know our leisure time also on screens mm-hmm. also means that we are not necessarily paying attention to our local community and the needs that might need to be met there um, which is something that's also incredibly important to me. Yeah, can you just tell us a little bit more about uh, the work that you do to help help mm-hmm. spread JOMO and help people experience it? Okay, so there's obviously the book, and I do do a lot of speaking, increasingly more and more speaking on this. So I do come into organizations, to conferences, and also retreats and corporate retreats to speak about the joy of missing out as basically the two pieces of well of joy, which are well-being and success, which are built into that definition of joy. And so well-being and success ultimately are what 
almost every person wants, right? We want to be well, and we also want to move towards our our own personal measure of success. And that's really what I, I try to speak about. I am launching this fall my first product, which is going to be a digital well-being contract, mm. which is going to allow you to make a contract with yourself or with your partner, or if you have, you know, kids with your family around digital well-being in the home. And so that'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks, which I'm very excited about. And that takes people through an exercise where they identify their personal values and actually look at their the primary time they're spending online and where those things are aligning, where they're not. And the the well-being contract is about how to bring those things into alignment together. So your values and your time is spent online are lining up because that is really what we're we're aimed at, right? We want to spend our time well. So you said it's a it's a contract. I'm a lawyer, so I I love contracts. But you know, a lot, I think some people some people blanch at the idea of a contract when it comes to something in their personal lives. It could be an agreement. It could be we could come up with a better title. Help me name it, Robert. No, I think it's great. I'm just wondering if you could speak to what is the benefit and value of having an agreement or contract with yourself, for example. I'm sold on it. Yeah. Okay. I love it. So coming full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, which was when I was completely offline, I didn't have to negotiate, renegotiate my relationship to Mm -hmm. technology. I'd already made a decision about it. And so that's really what the contract is about. It's about making those decisions once and following through on them and not having to renegotiate them on a daily basis. And of course, you will need to renegotiate them because you will make commitments and will find that, oh, this, you know, that maybe I set that aim too high and we need to be more realistic in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm never going to watch Netflix. Well, maybe you're <laughs> going to watch Netflix, like, you know, less, but that, that's the idea is that and it, it really came out of this product came out of conversations, particularly with couples mm-hmm. because technology has become increasingly, and you hear this from the psychotherapists and, and psychiatrists and psychologists that I, I know that technology is becoming a bigger issue. It's showing up much more in their offices couples. And so in terms of giving couples a meaningful way to have that conversation, so it's really guided conversation, and then coming up with an agreement together that they both can feel like they can sign on to. But of course, there's individuals and families as well. And so we wanted to provide a product that each, you know, people that are in whatever situation they are in life can can do this to more meaningfully, yeah, make good, healthy decisions around their relationship with tech. That's great. Yeah, I, I really like the idea. Personally, I have made agreements uh, on the business side. I have a business coach, and I'll just admit, I've often made agreements or commitments to my coach just to hold myself accountable. And I don't know if that's maybe with your own partner, <laughs> it has a different, a little bit of a different flavor. Uh, but if you do it mutually, I can see, you know, that there, there's some value to saying out loud or in writing you know, what you're committing to do. Even if it, in the end it's a commitment to yourself, uh, you know there is a lot of research backing that when you say that or write it and someone else sees it, uh, it can help you hold yourself accountable to the commitment that you've made. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that's great. You're doing speaking. You've got this product coming out. 
I interviewed uh, pretty recently Christina Maleka, the other Christina. Yes. <laughs> oh, I know the you're working with Christina. And Christina Maleka and I are collaborating on Jomo Digital Mindfulness Retreats. And our next one is coming up in British Columbia, beautiful, beautiful British Columbia, Canada, at the world class Hollyhock Leadership Center. And it's a four day retreat. And then in the spring, so late March, we're going to be running a seven day digital mindfulness retreat in Mexico, which is going to be incredible. And if you are interested in either of those, you guys can find them on either my website or her website, digitalmindfulnessretreats.com or experiencejomo.com. Great. You answered my next question, which is where can people <laughs> find out more about you? So uh, anywhere else people can go to, you know, uh, of course, buy your book, find out about the retreats or any of your other uh, work, any place else that you haven't mentioned. No, experiencedromo.com is all me and all Jomo. And, you know, I'm also on social media. I made peace with that about two years ago <laughs> because you got to go where the people are and where the need is, the need needs to be met. I have very much reconciled that with myself. So I'm on social media only for professional purposes, although I like making friends as well. So you can send me a message in whatever form you desire. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, that's great. Oh, thanks so much for sharing all of this. Uh, it's a really new and different perspective to be focusing on seeking out and, and finding and experiencing joy rather than just, you know, avoiding the horrible of, of what's online. So thanks for sharing all of that with us. And thanks for sharing how people can get in touch with you and find out more. And, th and thanks for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Christina Crook, the founder of Jomo where she helps people to find balance in the digital world. You can find out more about Christina at christinacrook.com. That's Christina spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share the episode with your friends. And don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. You'll also be able to find out about our Tap Into Mindfulness course for helping you to take control of your smartphone at tapintomindfulness.com. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with UX samurai across mindfulness tech and design, Jay Vidyarthi. <laughs>